0: This is Barbara Corcoran, and you're tuned in to Business Unusual. Throw away your Harvard degree and listen to me, you're going to learn a lot more. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888 BARBARA. That's 888 B A R B A R A. But first, got a bad boss? Well, I've been getting lots of questions from people working for clunkers. Here's one caller who had something to say about her boss who just won't deliver what he's promised. Hey, Barbara, this is Christy from San Diego, and I've been promised a raise for about eight months now, and my boss has still not delivered. It's very frustrating. I've met with him several times, and he's really fighting for me, but it still hasn't happened. How do I get this frigging raise? It's so frustrating, and um, please help me. Anyway, thank you so much. Bye. Christy, you've got to realize one thing, and that is he may not be fighting for you. You're so trusting, I could hear it in your voice. He may not be doing his best for you. And In fact, if I had to put my money down, I'd say he isn't. If you've asked for a raise and haven't gotten a flat no out of the gate, that implies that you're being considered for one. That's the only other option, right? And that, I can tell you, I've run a lot of businesses, takes no longer than a week to decide, or maybe two if you're working for some giant red tape corporation. But no matter how big the company is, it shouldn't take you longer than two weeks to get a reply. You might even feel a little insulted, and I wouldn't blame you. You've got to go in and stand up for yourself. It's as simple as that. And you got to do it this week before the week even ends. I suggest you be polite. Mention the day you first came in asking for the raise, however many months that was ago. But clearly state that it's been long enough, you've been very polite, and you need to know by the end of the week if you're getting a raise and by how much. To give you a little added motivation, if you need that little push, which I think we all do from time to time, I'm sure that in the last eight months, while you've been sitting around waiting for your raise, probably a half dozen people in the company have already gotten one. Think about that. How does that feel in your stomach? I'm not trying to get you upset here, but I'm trying to get you to go in there and get what you deserve. Asking for a raise is really hard for anybody, but if you're a woman, I could tell you it's even harder. As women, I think we like to be liked a little bit more. We want to ask for things in a nice way. And as a result of that, sometimes we don't command the respect that we're due. If you add to that a male boss you have to go to to beg for a raise, it just makes it that much harder. Let me tell you the story about the cheapest boss I ever worked for, Milton, at Schweitzer's department store. brothers owned a shop. One brother was a sweetheart. But I had worked there. I was 16. I had worked there since I was 14. I was entitled, according to my calculations, one paid day off after school, just for four hours. No big deal. But when I asked Milton for that one paid day off that I was clearly entitled to after working there for two years, he said no. And for asking, he punished me. He sent me to the hot attic and had me label a 1,000 men's socks, small, medium, and large, and they were all gray. And so he said, put the color on the outside and the size. And I did that. It took me probably three and a half, four sweaty hours. And when I came down, he went up to inspect my work, and he said, you spelled gray wrong. I spelled it G-R-A-Y. Who knew that gray was G-R-E-Y? I later learned that there are two spellings for gray, but he punished me for asking, What a cheap son of a gun. I learned after that to ask for what I want. I wasn't going to let anybody be my Milton ever again. One last trick I'd like to share with you that I always use when I get into a situation where I'm afraid to ask for something for myself. And it still happens to me, and I don't like myself for it, but I ask myself right away, what would a man do? And then I raise my hand, stand up, and speak up. And so if you're a female... Tuck that in your bonnet and say, what would a man do? Tamika from Pennsylvania asked me, what was the wildest unsolicited pitch I've ever heard? I get asked that all the time, and I've got a boatload of stories to share. Hi, Barbara, this is Tamika from Darby. I have a question for you for Business Unusual. What is your weirdest, wildest, most unsolicited commercial product pitch? by an entrepreneur. I'm talking a large, grand product. How did they approach you? What was your position? Were you offended? Was it crude? How about you share with us? Thanks for everything you do, Barbara. Love you. Bye. Tamika, that question was so juicy, I'm afraid to answer it. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm pitched all the time. Believe me, that's the nature of my day-to-day living, especially at airports on the plane, in New York taxis, and most recently at my son's birthday party in a nice restaurant. Someone actually came up while we were singing Happy Birthday and started pitching me an idea. So I'm ready for it all the time. But the most surprising pitch I ever had was in the ladies' room at JFK Airport in the Delta Terminal because the lady in the next stall was actually pitching my feet as I was in the ladies' room. I couldn't make that stuff up. She pitched me on her idea. I'm like, I don't believe this is happening to me. I quickly, as I could, flushed my toilet and got out of there and ran to my plane so I wouldn't run into her. So I'd have to say that's the wildest, craziest thing that ever happened to me so far as hearing a pitch. But I don't even remember what she was pitching. I was too busy getting out of that lady's room. You know, when I'm shooting Shark Tank in L.A., we're usually listening to 10 to 12 pitches a day on all kinds of product by all kinds of people. And it always amazes me how vastly different each one is. Just when you thought there couldn't be another idea in America, the doors open and the entrepreneur walks in and starts pitching something I've never heard of before. We've had the weirdest pitches for products that I sometimes wonder how people have even dreamed them up. Like the dentist whose toothpaste he claimed would put you to sleep if you brushed your teeth at night. Or the woman who had lost a lot of weight and claimed her lipstick was responsible. And if we would invest in her, that her lipstick would make all of us lose weight. Or the road Scholar who claimed he could turn pure seawater into pure drinking water. If only we gave him a million bucks to build a tower in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So if you really want to hear some weird pitches yourself, tune into the new season of Shark Tank. That's a promo for some of the wildest pitches I've ever heard. And an interesting fact you should bear in mind when you're watching the pitches on Shark Tank at home is that it's really an hour to an hour and a half that each of these pitches take, but it's edited down to six to eight minutes. That's what you see at home, and that's the remarkable part that you could take a wildly enthusiastic entrepreneur who's pitching like crazy and answering questions for over an hour and at home when you watch it six to eight minutes, it all makes sense. Go figure. I still don't know how the editor does it. Let's take a short break to talk about a company I love, my friends at On Deck Business Loans. Now let's get back to the show. You may have heard me say that balance just doesn't exist. So when this caller questioned me about how to manage his time better, I had to give him a wake-up call. Hey, Barbara. This is Devin from New Jersey. My question is, how do you prioritize your time? As a business owner, we're constantly juggling with team, product, sales, customer service, and so on, not to mention our personal lives. So what's the best way to manage this, the most valuable resource on the planet? Devin, that's a smart question, and you sound like a smart guy as well, just from the way you ask it. I think as entrepreneurs, we know what we should be spending our time on. We kind of know what's important because we know what started our business and gave us a little traction and get some sales under our belt. So knowing the stuff that really makes a difference, how does it happen that we get off track and we start getting busy with everything else in our lives and we don't focus on the stuff that really counts? I believe it's because administration gets in the way, administrative-related details that could easily be delegated to someone else. What I would suggest you constantly do, I don't mean every day, I'm talking about regrouping maybe every couple of months, is to do an exercise I practiced my whole life. I would always keep track of what I was doing with my day, hour by hour, for about a two-week period of time, and I would write it in my calendar at the time, it wasn't online, but you could do the same thing today online. I would write exactly where I was spending my time. I was never, never cognizant of where I was spending my time till I sat down two weeks later and actually added up like a pie chart where I was spending my time. And almost always, I was spending most of my time on administrative stuff. Let me tell you the least important thing in any business, any business, is administrative detail. It's not that it doesn't have to get done. If it doesn't get done, your business falls apart. But I'm telling you, It's the kind of stuff you could always get the next guy to do. If you're running your business, your eye has to be on one ball only. How do I get more sales and how do I get the right people to help me build my business? Anything you do in that area pays big time. Anything you do outside of that area barely pays at all. So sit down, evaluate or evaluate. I don't even know what the right word is here, but either way, do whatever you got to do to sit down and make a list and then really size it up and get rid of all the crap that's taking you time. You know what you also find out? You find out it's not creative work. It's the creative work that drives you on as an entrepreneur that makes you dream bigger and better and gets you thinking of an idea a minute and what you could do tomorrow and the next day and the next year after that. When you're down in all the administrative stuff, let me tell you, your dreams kind of fade to the background. So you have an obligation as the boss, the leader, the adventurer to get to the front of the line and start dreaming again and find somebody else that will do the details for you. One little last caveat. A lot of entrepreneurs say to me, but I don't have the money to pay for somebody. There's always a way. I never had enough money at any juncture during the growth of my business to pay for what I needed, but I always bartered, okay? I'm good at marketing. I would get a bookkeeper to do my bookkeeping for free while I gave her a great ad that I could conceptualize, etc., etc. You can always barter for what you want. You don't need the cash. So most importantly, know that the only two things that really build a business is more sales and the right people to help you get there. I do this kind of assessment with my entrepreneurs that I've invested on Shark Tank. The really, really great entrepreneurs that are doing so well are always, always capable of doing too much. They're good at a lot of stuff. So they chock themselves full with doing this, doing that, but they always get off course. I consider the greatest thing I could do for them is to have them sit down Reassess, make the list I just talked about, and then start delegating what doesn't really add to the bottom line or push their business ahead or get them the better person. Let me give you an example. I was with Grace and Lace a few months ago. They make sexy, well priced, full range of ladies' apparel, and they sell it all online. I was at their office. It was their third year of business. They had more orders than they could handle, they were choking on the orders that were coming in. What a nice problem to have. But looking at the business, they couldn't get the orders out. They couldn't get the new lines out. What was going wrong? I was able to put my finger on what the problem was, and it was one of the two principals. It was Melissa, who was the designer for the company. She was so good at what she did. A real talent could design lines that would fly off the shelf. But the business had grown fourfold in just a couple of years, and she was in the way. She was in the way because we only had one designer and we had four times more business. So what do you think I had to convince Melissa to do? Move over. Move over and start hiring young designers to work with yourself so you could churn out more lines. It was hard for her to do because like any great entrepreneur, she was a perfectionist. I am. You are if you're listening. People who want their own business want to really do it well. And she was no exception. But when she finally moved over, which took her only a couple of weeks and started interviewing great new designers, what do you think happened to her business? It exploded in sales. She was able to churn out so many more models because she got the help she needed. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. You got to size things up and move your business ahead. And very often, only one little thing is in the way, but it's almost always a lack of delegation and a lack of finding talent to help you get to the finish line. Business Unusual is part of the iHeartRadio podcast network. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.